upgraded um, uh, church directory, and uh, so there are some of these uh, sheets that look kind of like this uh, out on the table. If you're, if everything is current in the directory and you're in the directory, you don't have to do anything. But if you moved uh, recently, and I, I do know there's a couple of folks here that have moved probably since the last directory went out, so would you take one and fill out and update it? If you would like to be in our church directory, would you take one and fill it out? And then when we uh, get all that information together, we will then publish another directory so that we can stay in touch, all right? Okay, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, and then we're going to go on with... Um, into chapter 5. And I want to talk to you about the one and only. Last week I didn't have a lot of time to go into more detail on this part of the worship of heaven and the words that were expressed by the 24 elders that encircled the throne. But I want to do so now as we continue in this scene from heaven and as we've been given this glorious insight into the worship of God and this wonderful song. Let's say it together. It's on your screen. Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they were and were created. The idea of worthiness. It comes from an idea of weight. Now, there's a few of you um, that are old enough to remember in the 60s. If somebody said something that we thought was really profound, we'd go, man, that's heavy. How many of you remember that? Or is that still too foggy? <laughs> Yeah, and, and it was really a good way to put, you know, that man, that's heavy. You know, I'm like, that, that's really of substance. That's something of worth. And that's what worthiness means, to express a sense of profoundness to the idea of something of value. Or in this case, someone. And the profound worth of God is expressed in these verses. I want you to notice the first thing he talks about is the glory. To receive glory is, what is glory? Well, glory is like a something or someone that is just a spectacular, eye-catching, uh, attention-grabbing thing. That, that's what we call glorious. And as the worship is happening around the throne of God, they see and they're, they're just, you receive glory because of who you are. It draws attention. You know, if you think about what John was, was witnessing that, that time in heaven, and you, you remember the, the four living creatures with the six wings and all the eyes and the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, the face of an eagle, wouldn't that be something that you'd be going, whoa, huh? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be like, but all of those creatures have their fixation on God. Worthy are you, Lord, to receive 
glory. God does not share his glory with any other. He doesn't share his glory with any creature. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 12, we get a really graphic example of this. There was a guy by the name of Herod. He was the king of Judea. He was a puppet king, but he was an arrogant, nasty guy. And uh, he was angry, the Bible says in Acts 12. He was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And so the people of Tyre and Sidon realized we've got to get back in his good graces because uh, he's where our grain supply comes from. And so they were worried because of Herod's disposition toward them that, that maybe he would stop the trade of grain. And so they got upset. And so they called on Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and they convinced him to tell the king, please come to us. Uh, we, we need to make peace. We've got to... We've got to, you know, patch the, the wounds here. And so on an appointed day, after putting on his royal apparel, King Herod took his seat in the rostrum, and he began delivering an address to them. And the people were crying out, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. You know what they were doing, don't you? They were buttering him up. <laughs> oh, the voice of a god. Did you hear that? Oh, you know, it was probably just an average political speech. And uh, probably didn't have CNN and all those guys to explain to them what he said. But at any rate, when the, he heard them crying out, the voice of a God and not a man, the Bible tells us that he did not give glory to God. And so an angel struck him and he died from worms. Very, very painful death. Because he took that flattery and that honor that was due to God to himself. And he should have known better. And he was struck down. You know, we read in the book of Romans, and I know that the, the, the print's kind of small, right? <laughs> I was, that was pointed out to me earlier today. <laughs> I'm not very good with my PowerPoint, so... But at any rate, when we talk about honor, Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 21 says, Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. What is honor? To you, Lord, you're worthy of glory, you're worthy of honor. When someone has great value and integrity and uprightness, they are said to be honorable. And we use this word even in our day and age. If you go into a court of law, you say to the judge, your honor, right? And if a person has been elected to a uh, some position we often refer to them as the honorable so-and-so, right? But the Bible teaches that he is the one and only to receive glory and to receive honor. He rightfully deserves all of these ascriptions, and the Bible teaches us that we should give it to him. But you notice in Romans chapter 1, people refused to do so, and they became alienated from God. And they began to worship the creature rather than the creator. 
They began to worship the stuff God made instead of God himself. In the scene in heaven, wouldn't you fall down if you saw an angel with six wings and eyes all about and floating around? Wouldn't you fall down and, and, and be tempted to worship? But that's not what happens. Even those magnificent creatures give honor to the one who made them, and they're only fulfilling what they were created to do. And then it says power. Now, how, how does God receive power? He says you're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. How do you give God power? Does he need it? Is God not omnipotent? We say that word omnipotent, all-powerful. The Greek word is the word dunamin. We get the word dynamite, and it, it, it's really important for us to understand how does he receive power? Well, listen. We give him the right and authority over us. That's how we give him power. You know, when he created you, he created you with the capacity to choose for yourself what you're going to do with your life. He gave you the capacity to choose for yourself whether you will honor and serve him or whether you want to go a different direction. Do you know that God, when he gave that freedom of the will to us, it is a sacred trust that he does not violate. And so these creatures that are around the throne and the 24 elders, which represent us in the church, are giving him power because they're saying, it's your will, not our will, that should be done. That's how he receives power. We give him the right to decide for us what to do with our lives. We're really good at exercising our free will, but we're not so good at exercising it the way that it ought to be exercised. It's a sacred trust. But when they recognize who he is, they're saying, not my will, but your will be done. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we see that the honor, the glory rather, goes to the Father. In Philippians 2, 1, it says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Philippians 4, 19, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We could speak of the Son and talk about the honor that is due Him. In John chapter 5, 23, it says, So that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. And in Psalm chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Serve the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son or honor the Son that He may not be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may be kindled quickly. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. And of the Holy Spirit, that he would grant to us according to the rich of his, of his glory, that is, God would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner self. And Jesus, of course, said before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea 
and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. You're all familiar, I'm sure, with Zechariah 4.6. The word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but what? By my spirit, say, says the Lord. So as we move into chapter 5 and verse 1, we see that the one who's sitting on the throne has a scroll in his hand. And the scroll has writing on the front and the back. It signifies that there's a large amount of writing to be warranting written on both sides. And it says that there were seven seals that the document was sealed with. And what the seven seals means is that nobody can open the seal unless there's someone who has the authority to do so, or you might have to have seven people of authority to do it. Oftentimes in the Roman world, when a last will and testament was made, it would be put into a scroll, it would be sealed with seven seals, and you'd have to have seven people that were distinguished to be able to open each one of those seals before you could open it and read what's contained therein. And so the point that John is seeing here is there's this scroll, and it is not something anybody can just tamper with and walk up and go, I wonder what's in here. And then this strong angel asks a question, kind of like our song today, who is worthy Who has the weight? (laughs) Who has the substance to open these seals and open the scroll? This strong angel is, it's interesting that, that John would use that descriptor, but it would indicate to me that this angel is standing there and he's going, who is worthy? And if anybody dares approach, you've got to mess with a strong angel. All right? He's not going to let you near that scroll. Unless you meet the standards that are required. What is that scroll? Well, it's likely a list of divine decrees which determine the destiny of the world. It includes a record of what's going to happen in the last days. It is God's plan unfolding to restore what was lost by mankind and through sin. If you read the back of the book, you'll find some similarities. Not, it's not exact, but you'll read some similarities in the last chapters of Revelation as to the description of Eden, where God and man are dwelling together, where creation is set right, where there's no more sin and sorrow and death. There's no more sickness there. There's no more dying There's no more crying, but there's this wonderful harmony between the creator and the creature in this beautiful environment. And so the scroll is laying out how God is restoring that. And the idea of such a scroll was very, very common in Jewish understanding. In fact, raise your hand if you've ever heard of a book called the Book of Enoch. There's quite a few of you. The book of Enoch is an interesting thing. Uh, In one part of it, Enoch tells of an archangel by the name of Uriel. And he spoke to Enoch and he said, Oh, Enoch, observe the writing 
of the heavenly scrolls and read what's written therein and mark every individual fact. And so Enoch records that he read it and that he spoke out the, that, that this uh, document spoke of the deeds of mankind throughout the generations. Other passages in this ancient document show that the writings included visions of the ancient or head of days on a throne of glory where books or scrolls of the living were opened before him. And Enoch speaks of the mystery of the holy ones because he read about them. And he even claims to have read the history of the end of time before it even happened. Now, how many of you right now are saying, well, uh, what's Enoch got to do with it? <laughs> but let, me, let me just say that even though Enoch is not found in the Bible, it is important because, number one, it greatly influenced the thinking of the Jews during the time of Christ. Jesus actually himself alluded to some of the things that are in the book of Enoch. Secondly, both the letters of Second Peter and Jude quote from Enoch directly. The book of Jude is practically lifted right out of Enoch. Thirdly, the writings do not have to be in the Bible to be important. So the book of Enoch was actually found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. How many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Those Bedouin boys were out uh, in the desert and they were chucking rocks up into some caves and they heard the shattering of clay pots. And so they went up to investigate and they found these huge jars filled with documents. The Old Testament, much of the Old Testament, dated to a thousand years before uh, the New Testament times, an amazing discovery. And part of that discovery was the book of Enoch. So it was important, or they wouldn't have kept it. They wouldn't have tried to preserve it. But the point of it is, when this angel says, is there anyone worthy, what happens? Nobody steps forth. And John begins to weep. He weeps. Because there's nobody who's worthy. You know, he wants to know what's in the scroll. He knows that he's not worthy. He looks at these fascinating creatures and they're not responding. There's nothing. And he weeps as he recognizes. And then finally, one of the 24 elders approached him and he said, Stop weeping. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. Stop weeping. There is somebody. Somebody is worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is that? Well, we have to go to the Old Testament. We have to understand where this phrase or this image of the lion of the tribe of Judah comes from. And what is it? From Genesis chapter 49, we read one of the ancient prophecies and blessings that was given by the patriarch Jacob, who is now known as Israel. 
He's blessing his 12 sons just before he dies. And he goes to Judah, and he pronounces this blessing over him. He said, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares stir him up? The scepter, what's a scepter? A king holds a scepter, right? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So Judah has this blessing pronounced over him that he is going to be the ancestor of a ruler that is to come. And we find, too, that he says he's the root of David. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, Then a root will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. In verse 10, Then on that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal flag for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you didn't have done any gardening or planted a tree or dug up a weed? <laughs> How can you be the root and the branch? Because the root is the source, right? But the branch is where the fruit is. He's the root of David, and he's also called the branch or the shoot who will spring up. It's an amazing image. And then we find in verse 6, John looked to see who this lion of the tribe of Judah is, and he's the lamb of God as if slain from the foundation of the world. You know, John the Baptist testified Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that Lamb. He overcame. This this lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so that he is worthy to undo the seals and open the scroll. And how is that the case? Because he overcame in his death and resurrection and ascended to the majesty on high. Jesus conquered death by dying and then rising again. And then he conquered evil. Now listen. He conquered evil by returning good for evil upon every person who condemned and crucified him. What did he say to those that condemned him? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Did he revile? Did he threaten? Could he have? I think one of the greatest temptations that he would have faced would be being on that cross and being mocked, knowing that he could destroy him in an instant, just say, you know what, I've had enough of this. And just consumed everybody in fire <laughs> and say, you know what, it isn't worth it. How many of you, when you get cut off in traffic, you know, like, bless you. Please merge in. You know, we pull into the Winco parking lot and you see that parking space and you're just sitting there waiting because somebody's backing up and then as soon as they get out of the way and take off, somebody else zips in. That's nothing 
How would you like to be hanging on a cross, knowing that you are the Lord of glory, knowing that you have the authority of Almighty God, and you're being humiliated and ridiculed and scoffed at and mocked and blasphemed and look up into heaven and say, Father, forgive them. Because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world for sinners like you and me. And so John recognizes he is worthy. He can open that scroll because he has overcome. And there is a future because of him. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. He is worthy to rule over you. He is God incarnate risen from the dead, having taken on the nature of humanity and made the way for us. He overcame. Therefore, we can overcome. Would you bow with me for a minute? And just everybody's eyes closed and nobody looking around. I just want to ask you, Um, Have you really given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you really come to that place where you can say with all honesty that, Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done in my life? Have you come to an understanding of how worthy he is? And have you come to a place that even today you might say, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I know one thing. If I were in that throne room, if I were in that scene in heaven, I would have been crushed by the sheer weight of your glory and holiness because I am a sinful person. I'm undone. But I know and understand right now enough to say that Jesus, you are Lord, And you're worthy. And whenever somebody asks, what is the work that I have to do to please God? You said, Jesus, you said this. This is the work that you believe in him whom God has sent. And so, Father, I pray that today there might be born in somebody's heart today the realization that Jesus is their Savior, their Lord, their God. And that they have to take that freedom of their choice and surrender it to you and give it back to you because we've abused it. We didn't know what to do with it. We spent it on ourselves, but because of your death and resurrection, we could give it back to you and be forgiven, have our sins washed away. And have our, our whole being wiped clean of shame and filth and all those accusations that come against us, all of that can be washed away because you're worthy.
And all you ask is that simple surrender. So, Lord God, will you be born in a number of people's hearts today? They would just simply say, yes, Lord. Come into me, I believe. Take my will. It's yours, and I'll follow you. Lead them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.